My mom has a Mother's Day card that I gave her, and it says, Mom, I love you. What are you going to do when I'm older and I'm living in the United States? It's <laughs> 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 Yeah. Like at eight years old, yeah, I was already like crazy. telling her like, yeah, I'm going to leave. Hey everyone, this is Stretch Armstrong. Hey, me llamo Bobito Garcia de Nueva York y Puerto Rico. ¿Cómo está? <laughs> you are checking out What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. No doubt. And today's guest is none other representing Los Angeles all the way back from back in the day to Guatemala, Gabby Moreno. Aplauso, aplauso. Stretch, we have known a lot of indie artists in our time. Gabby is the sort of embodiment of all that, but completely out of the hip-hop realm. She sings in both English and Spanish. She does a blend of blues, soul, Latin pop, and folk. She started as a youngin' in Guatemala, singing on stage. We'll get to that later. But then she moved here to the United States, and she has been rocking ever since. Yes, she did that at 18. Not an easy thing to do at any age. Even more amazing as she's done it all without compromising her style. She has won a Latin Grammy. Mm. She's been nominated for a Grammy. Plus, she composed the theme song to the NBC hit series Parks and Recreation. And didn't even sing on it. (laughs) It's just (laughs) instrumental. So, I mean, beyond that, she's a humanitarian. She's done uh, outreach for disaster victims in in her homeland of of Guatemala. She's had some ups and downs herself in her career, and she is rocking at this point. She is with us. Don't go no way, you're Gabby Moreno. Drum roll, please. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face, and now what's good with Stretch and Bobbito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify. They're streaming right now and now and now. 20th Century Fox presenting The Hate You Give, a new film about hope and standing up for what is right. Based on a critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller by Angie Thomas, starring Amanda Stenberg as star with Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, Issa Rae, K.J. Appa, Algie Smith, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Anthony Mackie. Find your voice. Change the world. The Hate You Give in select theaters October 5th and everywhere October 19th. And we're back. Joining us now is singer-songwriter Gabby Moreno. Gabby, welcome to What's Good. Aplauso, aplauso. Thank you. Gracias. <laughs> Gabby, we're going to start off with a song uh, that marks an important point in your career. So the song was Escondidos, mm-hmm. uh, which you wrote for the John Lennon Songwriting Contest. And yes. homegirl, you, you copped like a good swift $20,000. I imagine <laughs> that changed your life and possibly your career. <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely did. Um, 
first of all, it was it was the first song that I had written in Spanish, believe it or not. Crazy. I mean, I had been here in L.A. already seven years. Someone said to me, but you can't deny your roots. You got to go and do something in Spanish. Got together with two friends of mine, Victor Indrizo, Ari Shine. We went in the studio and we recorded the song and submitted it. And man, it was crazy when we got the call and and found out that we had won the entire contest. And then, and then from there, like, just a major shift, I'm imagining. Yes. Um, after that... In the course of Gabby Moreno. <laughs> well, I remember that with, with the, the money that they gave us, um, I was able to to fund my first album, which I, mm. yeah, I recorded on my own. One of the prizes was, uh, oh God, like getting a thousand CDs from disc makers. <laughs> so I thought, that's, this is so cool. I get a thousand CDs. I don't have to pay for that because, you know, that's another thing that, that can be very costly. For people who don't know, disc makers manufactures records. They manufacture CDs. Uh, yes. if, they still, if they still exist. No, they do. No, they yeah. still around. No, yeah, they, they still do. Still around. Yeah, for independent artists, that's huge yes. to have access to a thousand pressings of CDs. Absolutely. Um, you can sell at your shows. Because it can cost up to like two grand, you know, to to go and manufacture CDs. So so that was pretty cool. And I remember I took um, 200 of those CDs. And back then there was this book called the Indie Bible. And um, it was just a, just a reference book for independent artists where you could see, you know, it, it would list um, either magazines, radio stations, um, music critics, things like that. And, that you, and I just started sending my CDs out to people. And I sent out 200 CDs, and I just heard back from one person. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah, and, but that one person <laughs> that I heard back that? from turned out to be my, my booking agent for a couple of years in Europe. So, really? Yeah, so that's how I started playing in Europe. I got to go to New York and open for Fergie. That was another part of the of the price <laughs> and meet Yoko Ono whoa yeah that was amazing and I, I even got to go to Liverpool and, and play at the cavern where, where the Beatles started amazing. playing and it, was, it was just incredible to meet Yoko Ono and, and you know, be a part of, of that whole world Gabby how old were you when, when this happened um, I was let me see 2007 I think I was 25 26 yeah because yeah, you've been performing since you were what like 10 oh, yeah, yeah. So I was I was born in Guatemala, raised there. I mean, I started singing when I was like six or seven years old. But when I was 10, I started singing like you know, professionally on stage in front of big audiences. My father was a promoter back then. Um, and he would bring international artists to Guatemala. So, for example, one time he brought Ricky Martin and I got to open for him. And other how, artists. How, how, Yo, that is how big? How big was the audience? Like eighty thousand? No, no, no. It, no, but it was like a good ten thousand people. I mean, was, and you were it was ten a big years deal. old. And I was a t- I was ten years old, and yeah. Wow. How do you go to school the next day? Like, or do you just take the whole week off? No, smile. The week, the week long smile. I went to an all girl Catholic school. Some girls were kind of mean and bullying me about it, but other people were nice and, you know, really happy for me. And you know, isn't it crazy? When I when I was thirteen, I I did a talent show. I went to Catholic school as a kid as well, and I sang "Yesterday" by the Beatles. This is coming. Oh my! <laughs> wow. But you know what though? Like it was crazy. There there were 
sec, uh, second graders and third graders asking for my autograph. Really? After, it was, you know, it was, it was like in front of like 100 people, nothing, no big deal. But just like, I was like, what? It was just crazy. Wow. So were you signing autographs at age 10? Yes, I was. Actually, I do. I remember very well when I I sort of did my debut at this national theater in Guatemala, and afterwards, all these people were asking me for my autograph, and I was like, "What? What? Do you, what is this? What do you mean? <laughs> I need to like sign my name for you? What? <laughs> I didn't get it." Now, when we mentioned this uh, Ricky Martin experience, you you had kind of a dismissive laugh about it because obviously you hadn't come into your own. <laughs> Uh, as an artist, at what age were you when you realized you really could sing? And then at what point in your career did you did you start to get a sense of, of where you wanted to go with that ability? Hmm. I mean, I just remember throughout my teenage years just singing everywhere. Um, you know, they would ask me to sing at weddings and first communions. And then I would, you know, do the occasional festival and this or that. Um, but I wasn't really writing my own songs you know I was really I was into musicals I was into of course the great divas Whitney Houston Mariah Carey and all that um but when I picked up the guitar I think that's when things started changing for me because I started writing songs I started listening to a lot of blues artists and jazz and soul and really getting into that when I finished high school I I told my mom I, I need to get out of here I need to find opportunities somewhere else you know I, I just I Again, also because I loved, you know, singing in English and, and, and wanting to come here to, to the United States and, and, and do something here. So I enrolled in a music school here in L.A. at Musicians Institute. I started um, playing around town everywhere. Oh, man, I've played in every possible venue you can imagine in L.A. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is that I, I, actually, I actually came to the States already signed by a, by a record label. I was signed by Warner Brothers when I was 18. Uh, but that didn't last very long. Back in those days, like the, the, a new president w- would come in and then they would just drop all the new artists mm-hmm. that they had signed. So that happened to me. But they they had, you know, given me a hefty advance. So so I used that to pay, <laughs> I used that to pay the, you know, the school and, and, and live and stay here. Sometimes getting dropped from a major label is uh, <laughs> the best thing that could happen, right? Back then when, you know, they used to have the money to do it, I guess. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're even lucky they even give you an advance. Arriving in L.A., what was the difference uh, on a day-to-day basis of your reality? Okay, now I'm in L.A., I'm signed, but now, you know, you you get dropped. So, like, there's a a shift in your comfort zone. Absolutely. I think what, what really helped me was was that I was going to this music school and that I met a bunch of other people that had that were also foreigners, that had also come here to pursue music and we sort of found comfort in, in each other. And after this label, I was signed again by Epic, Sony, and I was there for a year and then again, same thing happened. Um, oh, man. <laughs> it was really tough, you know, the, the, to have that happen uh, two times, you know, in when I was like 18 and then 20 years old and, and always always thinking like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm about to like do my record finally and then nothing happens. Um, mm. so did you was, get to keep the advance? And, yes, I did. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, Gabby, you mentioned yeah. um, the, the divas, Mariah Carey and, and Whitney Houston, obviously American artists. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, in, in an LA Times article, you talked about how Latin music, you just sort of associated that with with your parents. That's my parents' music. That's boring. I think we all yeah. we all either embrace the music of our older siblings and parents or we, we run as fast away from it as possible. <laughs> it's true, yeah. What made you come back around to it and embrace it? And what was you know, what was that, that journey like? So what happened was I in in two thousand um five, two thousand six, somewhere somewhere there, I started playing at this place in LA called Largo. It's a great venue. I was doing a residency with a friend of mine and he told me, you know what, why don't you, why don't we start playing like some old songs from Latin America? And I said, you know, of course, I know, I know, I know a couple of songs that I could bring to you. And these were my American friends. See, they didn't really know these songs. So I thought, oh, this is cool. Like I can, I can introduce this music to these people. And that, that seemed like something special to me. So I started playing the song Quizás, Quizás, Quizás. And the response was was amazing. You know, people were like, oh man, like we love, we love when you when you sing in Spanish and you should do more of that. That's kind of how it all began. And really, I just I just started appreciating it. And your parents were like, we told you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they oh, were yeah. like hugging each other like, hey, finally. <laughs> yes. She's come home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did get a lot of that. So you've been in the U.S. for a long time now. What is your relationship with Guatemala now? I mean, I still feel 100% Guatemalan. My whole family is there. I'm here by myself. So I, it's been 18 years that I've been here. It kind of feels like I never really left. I'm here and this is where I work. Of course, this is where I live. But, but when I go home, it feels like, okay, my heart is still there and, and my, my culture, my, my roots, my traditions, my, my family, everything. I read that uh, you recently did a benefit concert to raise money to help out with the uh, yeah. the Pulse Volcán de Fuego That's right. in Guatemala. Yes. When that volcano happened, which did not get a lot of press on the national level, right. what was going through your mind? Like, Were any personal friends or families affected um, in the nearby nearby towns? Like, they were not. They were not, thankfully. They, um, Volcán de Fuego is... is um, you know, far away enough that it didn't affect really anybody in in Guatemala City. Um, mm. But of course, those who got who were well, communities, entire communities, villages that were like right below the volcano, really poor families, and that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to see that the the Guatemalan government didn't do anything to warn these people, you know, beforehand that the that the volcano was was having. Activity. Were well, they were they aware of the activity? They were aware of the activity, and uh, they actually there's there's a really um, high end golfing resort there. It's actually a hotel as well, and mm-hmm. those people were warned, you know, and they evacuated. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Of course. So you know, it's like you hear those stories, and it's like really, oh my god. Yeah. To give people context as well, I mean, Volcán de Fuego was like a it was like an immediate, you know. Psh- it's no, it was impossible to escape. Exactly, wow. yeah, impossible. Like so it, it just, it just completely buried entire villages. And up to this day, 
they believe that there are still thousands buried in there and nobody has done anything to go and retrieve those bodies and it's, it's just it's horrible um meanwhile the, the the people that did survive um are just living in shelters and they have nothing and some some of those people like lost entire family members i mean up to i'm telling you up to 40 family members i mean crazy they lost everything so um, i decided to start doing these these concerts these benefit concerts just to raise some funds uh, to send to some nonprofits that are helping build homes for them. Bless you. It's a great cause to not only raise money, but also raise awareness. Raise awareness. Positive energy and thought is yeah. being transferred throughout exactly. the universe to, towards the people of Guatemala. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change change gears here a little bit. In your own narrative, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people ask you all the time, like, wow, you're speaking so well without an accent. And, you know, the, do you adopt an accent at times when depending on who you're talking to? Or did you learn English at a very young age by virtue of listening to, you know, blues and soul and, and funk? Like, what's your story there? Well, I always loved, 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 loved speaking English, even if I didn't really know it that well. I don't know if that makes any sense. I, <laughs> let me tell you my story. When I was a kid okay. and I was playing like with my Barbies and my ponies, um, I would, <laughs> this is really funny, <laughs> I would be in my room playing and my mom would come in and she, I mean, she told me this years later. She's like, you'd be there in your room playing and you'd be like making up these words. And I'd be like, what, what, what? <laughs> Like, and I would and, and I would tell my mom, well, that's English. They're speaking English. Like this is what it would sound. Like that. My mom was like, What are you doing? So I said, I want to learn English. I love English. So oh, at a very young age, I started reading in English. I, I you know, all the movies that I would watch uh, would be in English. And of course, the the records that I would listen to were in, were in English. Uh, mm. I had a, always a, a dictionary with me, and so I would be, you know, listening down, to songs Gabby. and uh, yeah, listening to these old blue songs and like you know, really studying the lyrics. And whenever there was a word I didn't understand, I would go to the dictionary. And and in school, you know, we had we had our English class, and I was always really good at it. I just because I I just I don't know, I just really loved it. My mom has a um, a little Mother's Day card that I that I gave her when I was like eight, and it says, "Mom, I love you. What are you gonna do when I'm older and I'm living in the United States?" Intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like at eight years old, yeah, I was already like crazy. telling her, like, "Yeah, I'm gonna leave." I just always knew that I was I was gonna come here somehow. That's wonderful. So it's wonderful. You know, for me, growing up in in New York in America. The blues would fall into the basket of music your parents are into. So for you, what 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 was it about the blues that that was so magnetic? Oh man, I just remember that the first time I heard it. Okay, I was my parents uh, took me and my sister to New York because I think it was my sister's fifteen uh, year birthday, and sort of like instead of throwing her a quinceañera party <laughs> they said uh -huh. oh we'll, we'll take you to new york i was 13 by the by, by the time and I, I was um walking on Times square and i heard this lady busking and she was singing 
you know, something that I had never heard in my life and I and, and it really captivated me. And I remember just just standing there for like 20 minutes listening to her. When she was finished, I went up to her and I asked her like, what's that style that you're singing? What is it? And she said to me, well, that's the blues, honey. And I was like, oh my God. The Wait, blues. I think I know her. No, I was... <laughs> <laughs> the heavens parted. No. <laughs> I was like, what is this heavenly music? So I... I um. I went to a a record store. Of course, they had the blues aisle. I bought compilation CDs because I didn't know any artists. Oh, man. I I remember bringing home to Guatemala like 20 CDs and just I would lock myself in my room and just listen to these songs. And then I got into like Nina Simone and Ella Fitzgerald. You know, the blues kind of led me to like jazz and and, and soul and all these songs. And you're you're a young teenager. That's that's incredible. Right. That's that's just so, that's just not a very typical experience no matter where you are for for a teenager. It really wasn't. And I I also got into like Jimi Hendrix and and Janis Joplin and all, um, you know. Yeah, I remember so, I, had, I, I had posters of all these artists, and my mom would be like, "Who are these people?" <laughs> your mom was like, was what like a, "Your mom was like, what about what about Broadway musicals?" Yeah, that exactly. was last year, mom. <laughs> that was last year. I'm, that's so eighty. I'm listening to Ella. <laughs> yeah. Chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gabby, um, let's talk about what is likely your most recognizable song, even though we don't even hear your voice <laughs> on it. Which one? So that, of course, is the Parks and Rec theme song, which you co-wrote for Mm -hmm. the NBC show Parks and Rec, which ran from 2009 to 2015. That's quite a long run and a pretty big deal. Mm, How did that happen? And, uh, And... you know, we know what the John Lennon prize did for you. What did this do for you? <laughs> this hopefully hope got more than twenty thousand dollars. Syndication, for that one. <laughs> syndication. More heaven. zeros, more zeros. Macero, macero. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this came um, through uh, a, a manager I was working with at the time, and he he received an email, and it was an email that you know was sent to a lot of different um, composers, and I said, well, you know. Instrumentals for me are, are really easy to, to write. Once they tell me, oh, it has to have words and it has to be about this and about that, then it gets like a little, oh, okay. Mm. You know, I got to, <laughs> you know, it just takes a, little, a, a lot more work. So uh, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to try this. So I just grabbed my guitar and I came up with like the chord progression. And I called a friend of mine, Vincent Jones, who was an incredible piano player and he had a studio and, and he helped me finish it. And then we added, you know, all these orchestral elements to it you just never know it's just it's kind of like such a you know shut in the dark right it's like there's like 200 other composers well-known composers that are going to submit for this so you just never know and then they, and then we got a call like a couple of weeks later and they said oh, you made it to the final 60 and we're like oh, okay <laughs> yay and then when they called us and told us that we got it man i, I really couldn't believe it really. you know any of the composers that you beat out you know who, who they were Oh my God! You know who was one of them? <laughs> Van Dyke Parks. Really? <laughs> yes. To this day, to this day, he he won't let it go. He always jokes about it. It's so funny. It's so. Funny. <laughs> You're referencing Van Dyke Parks, who's the legendary songwriter and arranger, who's worked with Frank Sinatra, Randy Newman, 
you two and and many others, um, yeah. including yourself. How, That's how did, right. How yeah. did that come about? So he was he was mad he was that mad. you beat him, so he, was, he stood out, he was stood outside your crib. Who is this woman? Like, <laughs> no. No, we had we we had already been working at the time. We I met him, I met Van Dyke like ten years ago. So we have a new album coming out later this year. We started working on this project ten years ago. Mm. Kind of like an on and off project where I send him ideas of 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 songs from you know old songs from Latin America, and then he he would send me back these beautiful arrangements. We did one concert together in in Denmark at the Roskilde Festival. Um, with the Danish Youth Orchestra, and we presented these songs, you know, for the first time live. It was amazing, and it wasn't until last year that I said to him, "Okay, let's let's really let's do this. We 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 gotta somehow put this record out." Well, let's hear one song from the album, yeah. and it's very timely. It's titled "The Immigrant." So much trouble in the home of the brave and the land of the free. This is actually a cover of Calypso musician David Rudder's 1998 song of mm -hmm. the same name. Yes. Uh, which was written in response to the attack of Haitian immigrant Abner Louima at the hands of the New York City Police Department. Uh, just, just hearing Abner's name uh, makes me shudder because uh, I recall... You remember. The morning that the news broke uh, about the way they violated his body, mm -hmm. they violated his person, they violated an entire community. Yeah. Um and, you know, that it, it's remarkable because most times when the police uh, step over their boundaries in terms of uh, uh, human rights or or uh, brutality or whatever, most times they get acquitted, you know, in the United States. And in this case, the, the police officer actually was sentenced to 30 years in, in prison. So uh, a remarkable time in New York history and, and U.S. history um, in any event. Can yeah. you talk us through how you and Van Dyke came to cover this song? And were you aware of the entire history of, of, of Abner at that point? No, I wasn't. Um, I came to the United States in the year 2000, and that story just didn't break in, in Guatemala, so we didn't really hear about it. And this was in 2008. Oh, my God, there were some immigration issues happening in Arizona. And um, I, I even wrote a song about it called Ave Que Migra, and... And we just thought that it was kind of a hot political topic at the time. And he sent to me this song. He's like, listen to the song. It's called The Immigrants. And this is very timely and we got to do it. And, and I was like, absolutely. This, you know, this is this is amazing. Um, and the words, of course, were very, um, they, they were directed towards what had happened in New York. So like the first line says, so much trouble in the home of the brave and the land of the NYPD. For this version that we just put out, um, we decided to change just a few lyrics to make it more about, you know, the entire country and not just not just New York and make it. Sure. I mean, it's and it's still amazing that it's still so relevant. You know, what's what's been happening also um, at the border 
with the families um, being separated. And we decided to also donate uh, proceeds from, from the downloads to uh, a foundation called Carecen. It's, it's helping provide legal services to the uh, children that have been separated from the parents. So it's, it, was, it was amazing how it, you know, how it all worked out that 10 years ago we started working on the song and then now we release it and yet it, it's still so relevant. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it seems like the moment, the moment's calling for it. Yeah. Uh, Gabby, you've been phenomenal. We're going to take you. a quick break and come back with the impression session. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the following message comes from NPR sponsor, the Lagunitas Brewing Company. In addition to brewing beer, Lagunitas helps nonprofits with fundraising. Chief Cultural Officer Ron Lindenbush says every cause they support is central to the Lagunitas philosophy. You know, music, arts, animal welfare, when it comes down to it, beer and music are just part of the fundamental human experience, and so are dogs. <laughs> to learn more, visit Lagunitas.com community. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. I can cry. I just talked to John Batiste, music director and band leader on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He did the interview at the piano. I can slide. You can find it now in the Fresh Air feed. That means one thing. It's time for the impression session. Here's how it works, Gabby. We play a track. You react. Simple as that. Da 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 da. All right. Stretch, you want to go first? Yeah, here we go. I was patrolling the pachinko You noodle model parlor In the Navarria zone Hanging out with insects Under ducting The CIA was on the phone That's beautiful. I gotta say, I've never heard that song. Who is that by? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that song is, is uh, by one of my heroes, Joe Strummer. Oh. And that's Joe Strummer in the Mescaleros. Wow. Of course, Joe Strummer is uh, the, well, one of the two vocalists and leaders of The Clash. Oh! Uh, my second favorite band of all time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, what, 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 do you, what, do you, oh, what do you think about that? Well, beautiful. Um... I don't know. I wanted to hear more of what he was saying with with the lyrics, but um, I mean, there there seems to be some some Latin influence in the music, and right, that's a, it's a tango. Yeah. Um, while he's using real words, it's quite jumbled and open to yeah. interpretation, yeah. and and uh, kind of mysterious, almost it like is, the way yeah. you were speaking a uh, fake English when exactly. you were eight years old. I, at first, I was like, is, <laughs> is this a joke on me? <laughs> like, I was trying to figure out what, what the words are. That's okay. <laughs> Interesting. What's it called? It's called uh, Mongo Bongo. Mongo Bongo. Yeah, I was trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out what that, what that was. Mongo Bongo. That's I love beautiful. that record. It, it's uh, uh, Joe Strummer was really uh, open to influences internationally and was a wow. fierce advocate for uh, 
people facing injustice throughout his career as a mm. first as a punk rocker and then beyond. Yeah. And um certainly there's a there's a Latin connection there. So I thought yeah. it'd be nice to play it for you. Oh that's great. Thank you. I'm gonna write that down. All right. <laughs> uh, so now it's my turn, Gabby. Okay. Cue it up. Incredible. Very hypnotizing. Oh, uh, the artist is Family mm-hmm. Atlantica. The song is Clavalito, Colorado. A UK-based band uh, with members from West Africa oh, wow. and northern parts of uh, South America. And, you know, with a, a number of different layers of instrumentation. Uh, the reason why I played a few is, A, it's just a gorgeous song, it right? It is, and yeah. It reminded me of, like, Violeta Parra or Mercedes Sosa and traditional music from from Chile and it's beautiful. You left Guatemala and you know there are all these amazing artists uh, from Latin America that I mean you've been fortunate you've been able to come to the US and and sort of you know reach audiences on a in a mainstream level um, but then there's all these artists that you know most of the people most of the people who love music who might very well love their music they just they're just completely unknown they stay they stay local, which is not a bad thing. It's not. It's it's a great thing to be domestic yeah. and not international. But um, but I think some of these records scream to be heard and shared. Yeah. Oh my God. And I thank you so much. I that's that's what I love. I love it when you know we can share with each other new music or or new old music. Um, I live for that. I really love it. That's why I, that's why I go to record stores. You know, and try to discover new music that I can get into and be inspired by. Nice. Gabby, it's been great getting to know you better, getting mm-hmm. to, to hear Gabby! your history, <laughs> your music, etc. Likewise. And we just want to say muchas gracias for hanging out with us. Oh, thank you guys. Muchos éxitos. Gracias, really. Hablamos. It's so fun. Thank you, guys. That's our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lanz, edited by Jordana Hochman and Nigel Eaton, and our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. If you like the show, you can hear more at NPR.org, and please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe! That's how we know you're listening. Seriously, (laughs) seriously. And you can follow us on Twitter at Stretch and Bob or Instagram at Stretch and Bobito. Peace!